0: Hi everyone welcome back to another episode of Marianne and Wanda I'm Andy
1: and I'm Allie yay we're back <laughs> back at it again on this lovely fat Tuesdays when we're recording this
0: oh I didn't realize today was fat Tuesday
1: yes it's Mardi Gras day uh the lab was shut down today and there was no class at my university wow <laughs> we I celebrate Mardi Gras <laughs> I went to work
0: and had no idea it was Fat Tuesday, so now I'll have to eat some Girl Scout cookies
1: before I go to bed. Okay, good plan. I like that. <laughs> some of my friends went up to town today to go to like actual parades and everything, mm-hmm. and I just didn't have it in me. I went up on Joe Kane Day on Sunday, and we did a couple parades, which is always fun. Got some Omo Cream Pies tossed to me.
0: <laughs> I know those are your favorite.
1: They are my favorite. That's have all you ever, that I care about.
0: Have you ever been in one of the parades, or do you always just go watch? Uh,
1: are we counting the pet parade? Did, was Jose in the pet parade? Jose and I walked in a pet parade last year. <laughs> he had his little King Cianera dress on. It was adorable. Everybody loved him. <laughs> so um, but no, I haven't, been. I haven't been in like a regular big parade, though. No. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. You got a day off of work. Well, no, I still work today. <laughs> Oh, you just didn't teach today. Yeah, I just didn't have to TA. (laughs) Uh,
0: Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What have you been up to?
0: You know, the same old, same old. Um, Adam and I started watching a new show on Netflix called Kaleidoscope.
1: Have you Mm. watched that? No, I have not.
0: It is like a typical heist type show. But it's cool because all of the different episodes are labeled as different colors. So... Like, the first episode is black, the next episode might be, you know, green or whatever. But the way that the show is structured is that every Netflix account plays the episodes in a different order. Oh, so, nice. so, like, the, epi- the episode order that I watch them be different than what comes up on your Netflix account. So, it's, like like, it's, it's pretty cool so far, because, like, every episode is a different point in time during the heist. So, like, you jump into the storyline at different points. But they're all interconnected. So, it's pretty good so far. We're I think we have watched three episodes so far. Pretty good. But if you yeah. don't like heist TV shows or movies, like, probably not for you. Because it's a typical heist movie. Are you kidding me?
1: I love a good heist. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, you've seen the Oceans movies, right?
0: Uh, I saw the women's ocean movie. Is that eight or eleven?
1: Eight. Okay, yeah, that's the but one. I haven't sitting. seen. You haven't seen eleven, twelve, or thirteen. None. Oh God, that's what we should watch. <laughs> oh Andy, if you like a heist movie, you're gonna love these. Take I place liked, in Vegas,
0: baby. I liked the the all women's ocean movie. That one was really good. I think a lot of people did not like that one though,
1: but I thought it was yep. good. I also thought it was good
0: yeah
1: all-star yeah we should
0: add that okay we'll add it to the list (laughs) but yeah that's all we've been doing that's new is we've been watching kaleidoscope so would recommend if anyone needs i think it's only one season and it's probably eight to ten episodes so you could binge it pretty quickly
1: all right yeah i'll add it to the list i got a lot of new shows to watch right now so yeah
0: (laughs) So, this month we read 10th of December
1: by George Saunders which was Allie's pick. Yes, it was my pick. Very highly recommended by all of the reviews I read online and by NPR who I generally trust and I stand by to this day. (laughs) Um, But they also said that this book was funny and while I found it funny, Andy did not as much. To clarify, it may have been
0: that it wasn't as good for me because I listened to the audio bu- book instead of reading the, like, actual copy of the book. My yeah. library didn't have the copy of the book, so I had to listen to the audiobook. And it was good. And the audiobook that I listened to was read by George Saunders. So oh. it was cool to, like, hear him read it because, you know, all the, like, natural pauses and stuff like that that an author writes with that intention he knew what those were and yeah. so he was able to deliver it how he actually intended it to be read so i did enjoy that part of it and i liked the stories a lot but i did not find it funny at all <laughs>
1: <laughs> i rather them to be funny
0: i didn't think any of these stories were funny they were good stories but not funny to me
1: <laughs> it's dark humor <laughs> Yeah, um,
0: i think we have known though for a long time that your sense of humor and my sense of humor are totally different <laughs> yeah. but we also have a lot of
1: overlap so yeah yeah just not on this <laughs> yeah. i mean to be clear george saunders also describes this book as hilarious so i'm <laughs> at least on his level
0: <laughs> i feel like that's somebody who describes themselves as
1: funny or hilarious okay i describe myself as funny and hilarious are you telling me i'm not not necessarily.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are most of the time, but I feel like somebody who somebody who describes themselves as hilarious usually is not. <laughs> oh, a dagger
1: straight to the heart. You <laughs> killed me. Wow. I can't believe you'd say that. Anyway. I'm never going to forget this day. And now we have it on recording and I won't have to. Anyway, yeah, just so to give some background on George Saunders, because I really like this guy. And if you have an opportunity to listen to any of his interviews online, like I listened to, he did a couple different TED Talk style things. One was talks at Google. Um, He did a big, long New Yorker interview, and he also gave a commencement address at Syracuse that I've also heard is very good, but that's the one I didn't actually listen to. But he's like really cool. I don't know. He's born the same year as my mom, uh, 1958, <laughs> but in Amarillo. Amarillo, Texas? Did they say Amarillo? Probably not. Amarillo, Texas, right? Yeah. Okay. He was born in 1958 in Amarillo, Texas, uh, but grew up mostly outside of Chicago. So um, a
0: quick note about that from listening to his audiobook, I did not get like southern Texas accent or Chicago accent from him at all. So I wonder if like his parents... Had a very distinct accent from wherever they were from or what. But I did not get Texas or
1: Illinois, Chicago area from his accent at all. From what I heard, he was just like nondescript Midwest. Yeah. Almost like Nebraska, if you will. Yeah, kind of like Nebraska. Yeah, well, but he did grow up outside of Chicago. And he had many jobs. He's been like a roofer, a doorman. He was a slaughterhouse knuckle puller. He, he, like, tottered around for a little bit, um, and then he went to the Colorado School of Mines and got a degree in geophysical engineering. That's cool. And, yeah, which is not... Uh, Vandy didn't have that as an option, so it's really... It's a very uh, niche brand of engineering. Mm-hmm. And with that degree, he went to Sumatra and worked for uh, an oil company. Yeah, so he went and worked for the oil and gas industry over there, and then he came back to the U.S. and started working at uh, an environmental engineering firm, it's Like, started writing short stories, and then went back and got his master's in creative writing from Syracuse when he was 30, and now he's a professor there, and their a master's in creative writing, which is actually what my friend Alexa got a degree in, in New York. fact yeah (laughs) she's also written a book (laughs) and he said that they get hundreds of applications every year and they only can fill six spots in their program which is insane to me
0: oh for their whole program
1: yes for like the master's program um in creative writing
0: Hmm. very
1: competitive apparently and he has been inspired by many many great authors uh, like Tolstoy and Chekhov he I think he teaches a Russian literature class every semester or every year I think that's like one of his his course loads, and then he also says that he's been heavily influenced by Mark Twain and also by the likes of Monty Python and Steve Martin. Um, that's what his comedy influences are. <laughs> so it's funny that you don't have the same one since you also like Steve Martin. But he's also been very well awarded. Like everyone who talks about him says, he's a great guy. He's got a great writing style. He was given a MacArthur Genius Grant. He won a Penn Malamud Award and a Booker Prize for fiction for his first novel, won multiple national magazine awards. Um, So it seems like everything that he writes has been well-received critically. His work isn't only in short stories, so that's what we read was a collection of short stories. Um, But he also has written a a children's book, a novella, um, several other essays, speeches, um, an environmentalist fable. And he's also <laughs> written several articles. Like, he wrote an article about Trump recently. And so, yeah, he's just been all over the place. Yeah.
0: The children's book, that that's interesting to me. I may, like, have to see which one or how many of them there are and get one for Rosie just to see how the style of his children's books are in comparison to
1: the stories we read. Yeah, <laughs> uh, can we please have rosie on the podcast to give us a review
0: yeah i'm sure it wouldn't make much sense
1: but <laughs> i need to know her critical acclaim <laughs> yeah so that's that's him uh he's given a lot of advice over the years that if you're a writer i would i guess i would recommend going and checking it out um, he doesn't seem to think like he he is the director of the mfa program at his school but he doesn't really think that that's necessary in any way Like nobody knows what makes a good author and so uh you know you could be very well educated but not have any good ideas or you could have a really great idea and write on the weekends um Mm -hmm. so yeah so i guess his advice is if you're an author and you want to keep writing keep writing
0: so i did notice in your notes about the talks at google Uh, He was quoted saying, that which is interesting to you is that which you should do. And I really like that quote. I think it's simple, but also just
1: explains like, just do what you love and don't think too much about it. Yeah, he brought that up. Yeah, he brought that up because he said it took him a while to figure out that he had wanted to be an author for so long and he should just start doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why he started writing while he was still working at the environmental engineering firm. Mm -hmm. I I was reading this article on salon um, that he was, (laughs) he got it down to where he would only need five or six seconds warning to switch between windows um, if someone was going to come into his office while he was working on a short story instead of doing his actual work. <laughs> uh, and he said he even got it to where you could fix his face so that he would have the right expression when they came. <laughs> that was really funny to me. Yeah. And What we read was 10th of December uh, was published um, in January 8th, 2013. So actually, happy 10-year anniversary, a little over. Uh, it was, again, very well-received. So it got a story prize, a folio prize. It was a finalist for the National Book Award. And yeah, like I said, literally all of the book reviewers online um, seemed to ha- very highly review it. Mm-hmm. And I actually listened to another podcast from the Winnipeg Public Library, uh, a bunch of uh, librarians who get together and just have a book club podcast every month. And they also talked about this book. Um, so I'll just say the we're in good company. And yeah, like I said, it was published in 2013, but all of the stories were written um, originally between 1995 and 2012. And so seven of them were published in the New Yorker, two of them in Harper's and one in McSweeney's. And I actually read all of these online. Um, So if you have a New Yorker subscription or can read them all online. And that is, again, what I would personally highly recommend. um, Because there were a lot of stylistic choices in what he was doing. And I liked that. I liked his style. I think that contributed a lot to my enjoyment of this book.
0: I think I missed out a little bit on some of those stylistic choices. Just because I was only listening to it and not having anything in front of me to view at the same time yeah I still I still feel like I got a good sense of it you know yeah I don't think I really missed like any big points that no
1: yeah anyway we're talking about how we wanted to discuss this book because it is 10 short stories and there's no way we could really talk about every single one of them And we went back and forth between just starting at the first story or starting at one of our favorite stories. Conveniently, one of our favorite stories was the first story. (laughs) Uh, So that kind of resolved that. And that one is called Victory Lap. Uh, It's about an almost abduction of a teenage girl. But I, I thought it was kind of funny.
0: Oh my gosh. Only you would think that is funny. The whole time I was reading this, or not reading it, but listening to it, It's talking about this girl who gets almost abducted and this neighborhood boy who's like, oh,
1: should I help or should I not? It was not funny at all. The (laughs) entire first chunk of this story is a stream of consciousness from Allison's point of view. And she's a teenage girl and she slips in all of these French phrases like balabue, balabue or whatever the heck. As she's just thinking about her daily life. And it's ridiculous. It's annoying and it's funny to me.
0: It's like typical teenage girl too.
1: Yes, very typical teenage girl. But my main concern,
0: I guess, for the narrative was Kyle. Who's the whole time, Kyle is going back and forth about whether or not he will get in trouble for leaving the yard. Versus going to try to help Allison, who's like... In the process of being kidnapped right in front of him, so that I think it just shows like how how much of a uh, they
1: had a very controlling parenting style. <laughs> yeah,
0: like the the hold that they had on him, even when they weren't there, is so extreme that yeah, like for he, somebody he, to even question like, oh, will I get in trouble if I leave the yard? And you know what happens if I help this girl? but I get in trouble for leaving the front yard.
1: Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, he had <laughs> an imaginary conversation with his parents where he was imagining their reaction to him not yeah. intervening. And he, that he heard them saying, like, you did right. Like, you, you, do you can you imagine the type of situation you would have been putting yourself in? Right. You should have stayed away. And I, like, they have him earning work points. That's why he even has yeah. the, the rock or the geode, was it?
0: And, and supposed that's why a
1: place somewhere,
0: and why he's given the privilege to run cross country, something that he's good at. Yeah, by like yeah, like a point system of whether or not he's in good standing with his parents. But yeah, I don't know. And he earns
1: treat points, and he gets like <laughs> twenty minutes of TV time and a handful of chocolate covered raisins. Yeah, that's how you get your kid to have an eating disorder when they grow up? That's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. So that was the part that I was most concerned about. Like nevertheless, the fact that Allison is being like forced into a van. I'm yeah. more concerned about Kyle's relationship with his parents and whether or not he's gonna be able to function as an adult.
1: <laughs> he will not be able to, I can tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, didn't that think whole... that the dude like the whole point of view from the uh, would be abductor was kind of funny the way I that he was so he was like trying to take her. He was dragging her out to his van and he realized his van was locked and he was like, oh man I guess I didn't run through the entire pre, pre yeah. like, checklist. Like, pre abduction
0: checklist?
1: <laughs> he, yeah, he was just I don't know. Dumb. He's a dumb criminal. <laughs> he is. But he is also smart. You know, he used a knife to abduct her and I believe be wrong about this, but um, people are more likely to follow somebody or listen to somebody um, if they have a knife over a gun. Like people are more scared of knives over guns. Really? Where did yes.
0: that statistic?
1: Of- <laughs> I listen to a lot of true crime, and so, so I don't do know I. where that came from.
0: I do too, but I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> you
1: don't believe
0: that. If somebody had a gun pointed at me and said, come with me, or somebody had a knife pointed at me and said, come with me,
1: no, I don't think I'm more true. afraid of the gun. You're going to make me Google this right now. We have to, well, I'll have you know that the FBI says that knives are five times deadlier than gums.
0: And right, I'll let it slide.
1: <laughs> um, and there's lots of discussions on this topic on Reddit and various other forums. But yeah, I can't, that's what I can glean from the the top hits on Google. So I'm going to stand by that. And also, I'm going to stand by with the advice, don't go to any secondary locations, because he had this very distinctive thought where he thought, if she got in and let him use the tape, they were home free. Like, if she just got in the van, that would be the end of it.
0: Yep. Yeah, that is a life lesson for sure. If you ever get abducted, do not let them take you (laughs) to second location, because you will die.
1: Yes, in that situation, you run away. They are less likely to try and knife you or shoot you that situation. I hate to say it. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I've learned in my true crime talks. Well, you mentioned how uh, much trouble Kyle thought he was going to get in when he left the house. Yeah. And then we also get uh, Wilson's parents' attitudes, and they have the exact opposite of, like, you know how much worse of a situation you would have been in if you hadn't both been there if Kyle hadn't been there to help you. And you both did great. The common theme that we get throughout a lot of these stories is that we see a lot of contrasting parenting styles. Mm -hmm. So we see this in Victory Lap, which is one of our favorites. And then we also see it in Puppy, which is another one of our favorites. Mm -hmm. You get these two different points of views of these parenting styles. And one of them, I think, well, I think this situation... Well, I guess... In all of them, I think that there is one that most people will objectively respond to as this is the better parenting style. So like in this one, obviously Allison's parents. Yeah, they're more open-minded and realistic. down to Right. Her. And then I think that you, the contrasting option is another parent who really thinks they're doing the best they can. And maybe they are, but in reality, they're damaging their child. And so we see that with Kyle, I think, at this one. And then I think that's also mirrored in puppy some.
0: Yeah. And it's sad because that point of view also, it's like, you know, that those parents are not willing to see the bigger picture and see how the choices that they make for their child can be damaging, even Mm -hmm. if they realize it right then.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Sad. Oh, yeah. Should we move on to puppy? Yeah. Okay. We both liked this one a lot. Uh, This one, to me, was really sad, too. I I did not think this one
1: was funny whatsoever, either. So Uh, you didn't laugh when the kid, when the mom asked the kid something while he was playing his video game, and he said he was leavening his loaves because he was playing a game called Noble Baker? No. Andy, it's so ridiculous, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs)
0: No, well, I was just thinking more big picture, like, okay... This lady and her family want to adopt this puppy. They get to this house that's, like, nasty. It reminded me of a puppy mill. She sees a child chained to a tree in the backyard. Why Mm -hmm. did she not call Child Protective Services right then and there or do something? Like, that made me so Mm -hmm. mad that they were like, "Mm, never mind, we don't want the puppy. And then they just left. And then the well, story ended, like, no resolution about, did she call CPS or not? What happened to the child chained to the tree?
1: No, I think we can infer that she called CPS, but I don't think, you wanted her to call them while she was standing inside a stranger's house? No, not right then. That would have been dangerous
0: for her, mm-hmm. but, like, I needed proof that she called, or you know, <laughs> it end that child was not chained to a tree. And, mm-hmm. like, what parent thinks that that is a solution to any type of problem and like i mm-hmm. i didn't remember this part exactly but the wikipedia memory of this story explained that the reason the child was chained to the tree was because he was running away a lot and darting in between cars on the interstate yeah but even still if you have, i didn't remember that exact part of it but even yeah. still, if you have an issue like that if your reaction is to chain the child to a tree in the backyard <laughs>
1: no you do not deserve to be a parent i'm not not disagreeing with that but i will say that and i don't think that was her first reaction i think that she had attempted multiple times with other strategies and she had just been thwarted by her child and he kind of was kind of happy in the backyard she said he was smiling maybe he's happy out there we think he was chained around the neck or around the ankle
0: I was imagining the neck because she, she equated it, the lady who was coming to adopt the puppy, equated it to being chained like a dog.
1: Mm, okay, yeah. The neck.
0: But, I mean, mm. even still, put up an eight-foot-high fence and let your kid run around the backyard. Don't chain him up.
1: I think there was a fence in the backyard. I guess it wasn't tall enough. Ta- okay. <laughs> this has got a little escapey for a child.
0: I don't know. I just thought that that was so sad. So
1: ridiculous. That
0: family needs to come up with a better way to make money than selling puppies, because I hate that.
1: Well, I got the sense that uh, that mother was being abused a little bit, um, perhaps. Maybe emotionally. I don't think physically, though. By her husband, yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't get the sense that she uh, particularly wanted an option. Oh, but she then, yeah, and then she ended up taking that puppy out and just leaving it out behind a cornfield because she couldn't stand her husband having to deal with the puppy. And I was like, you could just wait another day and try again. Yeah,
0: she is no better than him for abandoning a puppy to die. Yeah,
1: that's not good. Not good, ma'am. To not like that.
0: Uh, Yeah, that one was a, I mean, it was a good story, but it was like a story that left me frustrated and,
1: I don't know, mad i was hopeful because of the other moms view, where you could hear, hear it, like in her inner monologue that she was thinking back to her days and the way her mother treated her and was like i'm not doing that with these kids yeah and so you could hear her wanting to correct them or ever and then having the thought well i'm not going to be like my mom and her mom was horrible like snapped at her that she wasn't college material while she was mm-hmm. drunk one night like wow she's grown up better though yeah that left me hopeful
0: the difference in the two parenting styles of those two families were definitely like polar opposites
1: yeah it was very stark you could see that mm-hmm.
0: yeah overall a good story though that was one of my favorites
1: mm-hmm. did you get the mention of hooked on phonics no did you they mentioned that in the story? Oh, uh, the good old That's days funny.
0: that does sound familiar though.
1: did you not have to do hooked on phonics? Oh no, we did oh okay, no we didn't. at Sumner at like in like the first or second grade, yeah, first grade, miss Sharp, okay, yeah. I was gonna say because I did that at friendship before I met you and it must have been the first grade, I guess, yeah, you guys first or second grade, remember those days.
0: Yeah, I remember now the mention of phonics in this
1: story, but it's not something that stuck out to me. Well, that's one of my, one of the things I wrote down. This is just like, ah, you could tell this story was written. And what year was this one written? Let's look. 2007, yeah.
0: People still do hooked on phonics? Like, is that still a curriculum for early childhood?
1: No, do I look like a teacher? I feel like that was a good way to teach us how to read.
0: Yeah, well, also, regular math was a good way, but then they, that common core stuff, and I think they got rid of that again. Looks
1: Uh, like Hooked on Phonics is still, it's an app now, so. Oh. I would say they're still up and at them. Good for (laughs) them.
0: Then, the next one that we're gonna head, which, okay, so this was a little bit longer of a story. I think this was the third or fourth one in the book, and it was, at least in the audio book, way longer than all the other ones. so I had to restart it a couple of times because I got sidetracked um, but this was probably my favorite one in the whole in the whole book. I thought it was good. and it's been a Netflix, Netflix version of Spiderhead. Adams yeah. watched it. he said it was pretty good. I didn't find out that it had been made into a Netflix movie until too late to watch it for this recording, but I'll probably still go back and watch it.
1: But I reading this. Um, I when I you know when they have that line where they're like um they ask you to acknowledge mm-hmm. um I remember that line and I was convinced that I had already read the story and so I was asking all of my friends like did we actually read this I asked you if we read it in high school I asked my other friend if we read it in college I asked my book club friends here if we read it and they were all like no and then I realized that I think that I just watched this Netflix trailer mm-hmm. and just that phrase had been ingrained in my head. And then whenever we started reading this, it really caught me off guard.
0: Yeah. I I thought it sounded familiar too. Like when they were saying acknowledge every time they would administer whatever drug they were talking about, Mm -hmm. I was like, that sounds the whole thing sounded really familiar, but same thing. I was like, I think I've read this before, maybe a long time ago, but I don't know. It was so like vague, but also familiar at the same time. I couldn't pin down where I knew it from.
1: Uh, I don't think that they would have let us read this at JP2, so... No, I don't think so either. <laughs> the entire... I didn't love this one. What well, made me mad, I guess, was because it felt like these scientists were using fake science to justify what they were doing and had all of this illusion of consent around everything. Um, worse consent the entire time. And then later we find out that they have a drug called docile ride docile hide it was docile ride uh, TM and every Moby pack TM uh, yeah. that could be <laughs> administered to them that would just make them uh, more like willing to comply with what you're telling yeah. them to do and it's like yeah. well then <laughs> that's not real consent <laughs> no what's the point
0: yeah yeah I thought the concept of this was really cool like I mean to take prisoners who have done something horrible assuming that they get a life sentence is at least that's what it seemed like the main character that was his life um for them through this experiment basically being like guinea pigs for the the quote scientists Mm -hmm. to see how they would react under different drugs and like this seemed very sci-fi to me like futuristic you know having these packs to your back or different drugs in different, um, you know, settings. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was cool to see like, okay, if we give you this drug and they say, ad- um, acknowledge whatever, that they can really prove that they didn't have any, um, like romans for whatever the partner at the time was. And I don't know, just the whole concept I thought was cool, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely lacked genuine consent. <laughs> cool
1: and also is crazy to think that you could induce nearly every human emotion and feeling and then just take it away synthetically yeah, yeah. including like i guess the idea of like love potions or whatever has always been uh, like around in my mind because of harry potter and whatnot yeah but it's more like associated with like witchcraft and like that yeah but then like the idea i guess of inducing love for short periods of time isn't new to me but the idea of they had like vera which was to get yep. them to talk more and mm-hmm. then darken flocks which made them um well yeah i couldn't tell like, if they were uh, like just getting super depressed or if they were also getting super violent or both but I very not thought a good it, place to go
0: you know maybe they give them just a little bit of it and that makes them kind of depressed and then if they gave them a lot of it it turned them suicidal because remember two girls like when when um i forget what the main character's name was but when he had to decide whether or not to give heather or rachel the darkened flocks when he was in the the spider head with Mm -hmm. abnesty he was like i don't want to do it to either one of them but they gave it to each of the girls anyway and didn't they both end up killing themselves because they were so like in such a dark state
1: yeah they were given it for like five minutes and um handle it at all um at the end and i guess everyone had been given it a little bit in small doses before right because the main character had described it yeah but yeah nobody had ever taken it for that long and then yeah nissy's just like well we had to do it in the name of science had to see what would happen and now we know
0: yeah i did like that this story had a conclusion we saw that the the main character i think his name is jeff that he um, just rather than give the darkened flocks to Rachel or Heather, like if I just give it to myself and end up killing myself, then I won't be able to hurt anybody else in the future. So I I felt like that showed that he had good morals, uh, even though like he had gotten into this position of being in the experiment because he did something horrible in the past. Mm-hmm. But he's still a good person.
1: Yeah, um, but like yeah. that doesn't take away his humanity and we no, still shouldn't no. treat him this badly no. at all. <laughs> no, I you have basic rights. <laughs> and yeah. I can tell you Darken flocks is not not one of them. Yeah. Man,
0: can you imagine if these kind of drugs were something accessible? Like <laughs> we just had Valentine's Day a couple weeks ago. How many over the counter pills do you think would be sold of the drug that makes you like instantly fall in love with somebody? Around oh. day and then it wears off.
1: <laughs> so many roofies, my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I tell you.
0: I would try some of the the VeraTalk one, especially if you have like a big speech to give or like a presentation or something, and you're not a very good public speaker. But then again, I guess it doesn't necessarily make you a good public speaker. It just make you talk a lot.
1: Yeah, I don't. I'm not interested in trying any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I loved the names, and this was part of the writing yeah. style that I loved about his was these absolutely ridiculous names. Darkenflocks, I mean, come on, incredible! Yeah, I did think that these these uh, the drug
0: names were very good and believable too. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: Darkenflocks <laughs>
1: sounds like a drug. Yeah, oh, love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. That I really enjoyed the writing style of, and then I also really enjoyed Go, um, which is I think a little bit of a shorter one it was the second to last story mm-hmm. and I just liked that one because I feel like um of the things that um, George Saunders does well is that he writes this different characters perspectives individually very well and like has a very flow of consciousness and so like getting into um, sort of he gets administered the nightlife which I can only assume was made by the same people in um, Escapes from Spiderhead*, mm-hmm. Um that he, like, starts to slip into this medieval-type speak, and there's all of these random letters that are capitalized, like you would see in all of those older texts, and he has... He, he starts talking in, like, they have very big, grand ways, and he will save her, he will be the knight. Um <laughs> And then he just, like, starts to transition back out of it as the drug starts to wear off. Mm -hmm. And I think that his writing style, like, does very well at that. He's very good at this.
0: So, I think probably of all the stories, this is the one that probably got lost in translation the most for the audiobook, Mm -hmm. because I didn't get any of those, like, you know, capital letters or, like, anything like that that showed the writing style, Um, because obviously, like, speak in an audiobook and say like capital s for you know whatever yeah some of that was lost in translation this one also i don't know if i just missed it in the beginning but i didn't realize that they were working at a theme park until like the end of it i was like <laughs> Where? I, w- I was like how is this in like medieval times and and all that and i was like what is a pacing guard that kind of thing but then i realized at the end that they were working at a theme park
1: <laughs> yeah that's why i'm so funny they're at a theme park, and this guy is excited to have a medicated job at the theme park. Yeah, that's pretty oh, sad. Oh, that's not well. sad! That's <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed that one. I think it's an honorable mention.
0: I think that one was not one of my favorites just because of how the story was told, or how the story went. Um, but, yeah. I mean, it wasn't bad. Not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Notable one that I asked was what kind of work you thought the group of men were doing in the exhortation
1: story? Got to be something um, like the job of the scientists in Escape from Spiderhead. Mm-hmm. Like I think it has to be something where they are torturing, and it's all in the name of the greater good. Yeah, or at least that's how I interpreted it.
0: Actually, I didn't think about it until just now. But so the people in exhortation they have to do um this mysterious work in room six in the escape to spiderhead didn't they say like okay you're gonna go into room six now or you're gonna go into room four now
1: yeah i feel like that yeah it was like room three yeah
0: so yeah maybe that is something like that where they have to like i don't know clean up or maybe fill up the moby packs or something something to do with spiderhead story that's interesting when I was reading it, I th- I was thinking that they were, like, crime scene cleanup people that yeah. had to see, like, you know, people who had been- clean up murder scenes or, you know, something like that that nobody wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of an interesting way to tell that story of, like, they never actually mentioned what the job was, but he had the guy who was the boss in that story had lots of good imagery of why they needed to make sure that they were... As productive as they
1: have been. Plus some. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that that other podcast. Had mentioned was that. um, Stories had taken place. In sort of like the same land. Or the same universe at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I guess as I was reading through these. I kind of saw through that lens too. And so that's um, part of the reason. Why I guess. Because exhortation comes right after. Escape from Spiderhead. And I was already thinking about all these stories linking together that I was just sort of already drawing that line between the two. I
0: guess I could see that maybe these all took place, like, in the same location. But I kind of felt like they took place at different points in time. Mm-hmm. Because, like, those kind of that they were testing seemed very futuristic. Uh, the Semplica Girl diaries seemed futuristic. Um, like, all being connected by some kind of wire But then you see, like, you know, the story sticks and like those current and even the great home seem very current where they don't have like that futuristic aspect to it. So I kind of like the Escape from Spiderhead and Exhortation. Yeah, Exhortation. um, Like those were taking place farther into the future than the other
1: ones. Mm True. And. Rick Fiasco would have to take place after Escape from Spiderhead if they've already mass marketed these types of drugs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but mm-hmm. the all take all Rooston story. That one seemed like it was more like a in the past, or I don't know. I got the feeling that that one was like placed in the '90s or early 2000s. But he was having flashbacks of like him in the '70s, is what I was imagining.
1: Mm. Yeah, okay. I could see that. Yeah. I don't know. I highly recommend these stories. I think that I liked reading them as a collection, I guess, and not necessarily as individual stories. Um, so- They're probably
0: connected. Or at least most of them seemed like they were connected in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I would say reading them together is probably the best route. I yeah. don't think that the audiobook was a bad route to go, but I think maybe after this discussion, probably reading it in text is... The better way to go but you do hear george saunders voice reading it himself on the audiobook
1: (laughs) well and that always is a bonus
0: yeah it's good either way um but probably you would get a little bit more of the um tm and i kind of by reading (laughs) in the audio yeah
1: well shall we rate it all right what do you want the scale to be how many hmm uh how many Moby packs out of five
0: would you give this? <laughs> I was gonna say darken Flockses but that was too too bad. No, <laughs> no
1: that was too bad. Just the Moby pack. How many Moby packs will you give me out of five?
0: Alright. Um, let's see. Or Moby packs. I would not agree that it's funny. To me, none of these stories seemed funny, but they were well written and good stories. So like still enjoyable, but not comedic to me at all.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So I'd probably give it like a four point three, maybe. Uh, Moby packs out of five because I did mm-hmm. think that they were funny and very well written. Yeah, um, they
0: were good stories. Yeah. 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 Our next book, I picked it out. Yeah. I did not use my chaotic method of picking a book at the library. <laughs> I actually went <laughs> to the library with a book in mind, <laughs> and it was available.
1: <laughs> Incredible.
0: So. March's book is going to be Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And I did look it up. Kevin Wilson has no relation to Terry Wilson, who wrote the last book that I picked. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to double check that one. Yeah, well, I was standing there. Well, and the only reason I even thought about it is when I went to the section in the library, the book that I picked last month was like on the shelf right underneath this one and i was like oh (laughs) come on if this if these people are married (laughs) (laughs) but they're not funny i thought that was funny that i picked two in a row with the same last name
1: (laughs) Uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of marianne and wanda we would love to hear your feedback and if you have any books or topics for us to review
0: you can reach us at marianne and wanda podcast on instagram or send us an email at Marianne and Wanda Podcast at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.